Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Figuru. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 5, Episode 5, Fallen Idols. Let's get this show on the road. It's weird because we haven't actually recorded in like two weeks, so it feels like we're coming back to something. <laughs> we did this like two days ago, right? Like this is like every day for us. Like no, this this is so ingrained in my life now. First things first, for this episode, I need to shout out the fact that I like accidentally guessed this episode was happening. What do you mean? We were having ice cream and I sort of said like, you know what? It's weird. They've never done an episode about James Dean's haunted <laughs> car. That's one of my favorite like old stories and myths. And, like, they're just never going to touch on this. And you just gave me a look of, like, well, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a really good episode coming up very soon. <laughs> when you said it, I was like, really? You're saying this literally, like, a week before we're recording this? This is, this is uncanny. Like, amazing. You have reached, like, supernatural writer level of, like, being able to read the future. As much as this is very much a, like, filler and or bottle episode, with some really good character development nonetheless, it was a really fun episode. I really enjoyed this one. I really hate this one. Really? <laughs> this, is, this is the second time we've done this where I really enjoyed it a one-off and you hate it? I just find it so boring. Like, I mean, we're coming off of, like, such a really good string of episodes. I find that this one just doesn't live up to them. You know, it's one of those that Rochelle thinks is, like, on the same kind of humor level as, like, the trickster episodes. I don't know. Although this is a trickster god in, in many ways. It has that flavor. Th this is the trickster episode light. This is diet trickster. Are you ready for the recap? Three, two, one, go. We open on one of the most classic haunted object stories pretty much in the history of the world. Little bastard, James Dean's car. This collector has hunted it down. The ghost of that possesses this car has struck again and killed another one of its passengers. But then we find out it's not the real car. And then someone else gets killed by Abe Lincoln. And now the brothers are like, mm, something's really sells fishy here. And they think it's a haunted wax museum is their next best guess. And then it turns out it's not ghosts. It turns out it's actually a, like lesser trickster god from an old religion that is taking on people's idolizations to feed off their like passion for them and then the whole time we actually have this nice little narrative of like sam and dean rediscovering their bond and how they work with each other time as much as i dislike the ep the episode that's why i don't hate it because there's actually a lot of really cool stuff that's happening in there i imagine again in a longer in a longer season that you can skip this episode but i feel like the conversation that the brothers do have with each other is pretty important for one, like as usual. I think so anyway. So long game. So there's lots of tension throughout this episode this week between our tallest and our shortest bean. They had their trial separation and now they're back together. Good on them for not just accepting status quo. Everything's normal. They're actually butting heads and realize there needs to be some conversation. I mean, I think Sam realizes there needs to be conversations. I don't think that Dean does. And that'll be something that we'll talk about in story time. 
Another reason why I don't hate this episode entirely is that it gives us both Sam and Dean in like white shirts with rolled up sleeves. So the costume department definitely tries to make up for this story being boring. This is very classically a James Dean look. Like, pretty much, if you Google James Dean, there are two pictures of him. There is him in the rolled up white sleeve shirt, or there's him in the leather jacket, which was very common to personify a cool character and was even the inspiration behind a certain leather jacket clad character, the Fonz, who was also referenced in this episode. <laughs> That's too funny. There's also the picture of him, because I used to have that. <laughs> in my bedroom when I was a teenager. But like that picture of him in that long wool coat. Oh, yeah. I like how we're both like, yeah, dreamy. Yeah, I mean, there's lots to unpack when it comes to James Dean. And again, this is something that I have some thoughts about. I honestly feel like this podcast episode is going to be so short because this is truly like such a bottle episode. <laughs> All the House of Wax references are basically because Jared Padalecki was in that movie with none other than Paris Hilton. I don't do it intentionally, but once in a while, a name will catch me in the credits, whether it be the writer or director or like a, if like a, you know, featuring somebody. It happens once in a while. Paris Hilton showing up as guest star, I was like, excuse me? <laughs> right away, my brain goes like, oh, she co-starred with, you know, Jared in House of Wax. So as soon as I went to the Wax Museum, I was like, I love where this is going. <laughs> this is so self-referential. Very meta. The same kind of feel as like the Chad Michael Murray kind of comment that I thought was really funny back in season one. This is the second mega appearance. Second mega appearance, you're right. As an elder millennial <laughs> who basically was a teenager when The Simple Life was on and like saw the rise and somewhat fall, I guess, of Paris Hilton. I feel like I, I didn't know that much about her. But then for this episode, I started looking into her because I was like, you know what, like, let's let's just give this a try. And I am amazed at how much misogyny tinted my my understanding of her. Yeah, I don't think we can do an entire an entire podcast on Paris Hilton, although I think it can be done and people have done it. And she has her own, actually. I did not know this. Oh, yeah, she's written several books. I knew she'd written some books. I didn't know she did a podcast. She is a character. She's a public figure, the same way that Kim Kardashian is a public figure, you know? From what I've come to learn of her through more her side of the story is that there's a lot of it was a character. As much as you say misogyny tinted your view of her and clearly that is true that it was she came up in a time much like this show where the male gaze was much more of a standard and less of a understanding that we have today but I feel like part of that character of hers was to I don't want to say embrace it but almost take advantage of it to her own benefit and again I don't want that to come across as like oh she was a bimbo because bimbos were hot and she you know like she really built a brand out of this character and built a empire out of it she leveraged what she had and that is not to say that, you know, Paris Hilton is very, very privileged in her own ways. Uh, let's be very clear about that. But she, she was a very smart businesswoman in the sense that she did leverage an existing, she leveraged what she had. Anyway, moving on. This episode has a coming soon at the end, and I was sort of wondering what you thought about it. Really, really enjoyed the coming soon. I unfortunately have been slightly spoiled in the sense that I know a coming up episode soon is kind of a like they're trapped in TV land is the best way I can explain it. 
which explains the the like just some of the moments that seem so out of character, like being on a game show. There seems to be a CSI moment where he makes the pun and puts the glasses <laughs> on at the end. There's a Grey's Anatomy moment where another doctor like slaps Dean. A lot of those, unfortunately, I guess, like as a viewer who doesn't know that's coming, are like, what's happening? I know where those are mostly coming from. And despite that, have no idea what the episode's about besides it being in a TV. So I'm still very excited. My bigger concern is this random child who seems to be the son of the devil and Cass is like, I'm a murderer child <laughs> before he can murder my Dean. And I'm very, very concerned to see where that goes or how that gets resolved. Well, luckily, it is coming soon. Would be the implication of the coming soon section, I gathered. <laughs> Speaking of coming soon, story time. So today our theme is idolatry, and it comes from the Greek meaning literal idol worship. Now the religious meaning is basically the worship of something or someone who isn't like the one Abrahamic god. In the context of a monotheistic religion, or is that specifically in like Abrahamic religions specifically, I guess, because like, other religions have multiple gods, I guess, so that wouldn't really be as big an issue. It's specific because of one of the foundational Abrahamic texts that says that you shall worship no other god than me. I apologize for this bad uh, quote, but it's something like that. So yeah, the idea of a false idol or a false god has always been very much tied to, at least from my upbringing, Judaism. And I know a lot of that does tie over, so I feel as Christianity would probably have a similar connection to it. That's basically the idea. So... In this case, and I think, you know, like this, we didn't search very far, right? It's right in the title. We went with what the writers kind of wanted us to explore as a theme here. And the whole goal of this is to say that these people like basically dedicated their lives to worship a person who was not the one true God. Although James Dean, I must say. <laughs> if if you're going to be sacrilegious for anybody, know, good right? choice. <laughs> Again, we've talked about this before. We've been meandering this entire time, trying to make <laughs> make up some time. But like for me, I feel like this week it's really simple because like both Sam and Dean are idolizing like John's way of dealing with things. And of course, like we know that like Sam's idol, quote unquote, is is Gandhi, and we'll we'll talk about that. But I think that at the core of the episode, it's about them worshiping the way that. John used to do things with them. And it, it shows up differently for both of them. And for Dean, it's more about like embodying John's ways and like taking complete control of the hunt. Kind of like what we've seen him do before, particularly in Scarecrow, I think. You know, I decide because I'm the oldest and like it's my way or the highway kind of thing, which is a very John thing to do. So I really feel like the biggest thing to focus on this episode is the coming together of the two of them again and how especially with Dean his view of the way things used to be the way John used to run things is very much the the status quo he's saying it's it's a new start he's calling it a new start but it's really the same old recipe i mean nothing's changed and while a lot of it does stem from the old ways that you know Dean was kind of raised by John to protect his little brother there's still a part of that which Dean can't let go of. Dean is still the older brother. Even if it isn't specifically a Johnism, the way we then realize it is later, it is still 
a part of his upbringing, even if he doesn't want to idolize John in that moment, John still holds this, like, position above him so much that, like, his teachings are still gospel even when he isn't the idol anymore. Wow, okay, there you go. I think you've said it so perfectly, because that's kind of where I'm going with this. Because, yes, of course, like, idolizing is a really big word, and I think that a lot of people, like, presented with this thesis idea... I would say, would be like, um, no, they're not idolizing him because this, 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 and this. And there would be really good reasons to say that. But the reason why I say that they are is because they're still repeating those patterns. And and again, particularly Dean in this in this case, who is like carrying the torch of the Johnisms. Well put. Even though he knows that it's not the best way, and we know this because we've seen him kind of back off on these old ways, especially in previous episode with Bobby coming in, he is still repeating those patterns without really wondering about it. It's kind of the way that religious people will just keep on repeating religious patterns without necessarily stopping to think about them. And not to say that, you know, if they stop to think about it, they would realize that it's silly. That's, that's really not what I'm saying. But when religion becomes habit, like anything else, think a lot less about it. And in this case, it's the religion of John Winchester's bad parenting that comes up and it just like spreads to that relationship between the brothers. Exactly what I was trying to say. For Sam, because it shows up differently for him. I think it shows up more as like allowing Dean to do that. Because again, he's not thinking about it. He's like, oh yeah, that's the way it's always been. And that's the way that I'm going to let him or let things happen. And we've seen him do this basically as many times as we've seen Dean trying to boss him around. I feel like there was a part of me with this, and I was like trying to kind of figure out how the the idolization of John applied to Sam, because I feel like with Dean, it's obvious with Sam, it's almost like, yeah, no, but Sam like tries to break the chain. He starts the conversation, but also he starts the conversation literally at the last possible second. They have, obviously his first doubt comes up when he's like reviewing that night being like, well, the ghost of Gandhi didn't do any of the normal things that would normally happen. Like I mentioned previously in the episode with stabbing demons with a demon knife and nothing happening. And he didn't notice it then, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still bitter. But like, he clearly has his realization. And maybe he has to fester on a bit on the car ride home. Doesn't say anything. They probably got a drink or a bite to eat or dinner. They're not, you know, babies. They're not going to bed at 7 p.m. This, you know, wasn't that late. They're literally packed up and ready to go before he finally goes, okay, I have to say something. I can't sit on any longer. Because he is so used to the person in charge being right. You never question John. You never question Dean. And here he is going, no, I, I you know, I, I was, this is the way I've always known. I'm breaking the habit. I'm, I'm going to question it. Yeah, I re- and I really appreciate that, right? And I think that it comes from this... <sighs> This realization that this, whatever they have going on, is unsustainable. And, you know, he, Sam says it really well. It can't work that way. They need to let go of this completely outdated family hierarchy and actually make space for who they both are and how they can be of service to their hunting and brotherly relationship. If you remember our discussion on family in our season four recap, you know, so basically learning how to be family again, and this time on their own terms, not on John's. Sam speaking his feelings is fairly common at this point. 
But the fact that the way he does it here doesn't feel like he's cornering Dean and forcing Dean to speak. He's very much respecting those boundaries of saying, here's my piece. This is just, here's a very like an I feel statement. And then allowing Dean to, in his own time, process and respond. They seem to come to a fairly decent agreement by the end of it. Like, yes, in the immediate moment, Dean is still very like, nuh-uh, I'm the big brother, I'm always right, let's do it my way, until literally a phone call comes in revealing that Paris Hilton may have kidnapped somebody, <laughs> which is a weird <laughs> sentence in the middle of this very dramatic moment I'm having. That's supernatural for you, though. Yeah, <laughs> that, poor, that poor sheriff. <laughs> so much respect for that poor sheriff trying to find the like simple solution every time and finally just being like, I give up. I give up. Paris Hilton kidnapped a girl. The end. <laughs> it's the only thing that makes sense. I give up. But so to go back, though, Dean does have the time to process because he's not forced to. He is given the information. He is given time to process, albeit while dealing with a evil tree god. But he does get the time to process. And clearly we see a little bit of time must pass. And he's able to respond emotionally and intelligently to Sam and come to an agreement. Which, again, is very anti-John. <laughs> There's a word that you said that I can't stop thinking about, and that's the word boundaries. Because we've talked before about how Sam has bad boundaries. And I feel like, wow, what a change. Because, like, these are some really good boundaries right there that he's setting, you know? Like, he's being open and honest. He's not accusing Dean He's really taking his own share of responsibility. Yeah, it's just, it's cycle-breaking stuff, literally. And I'm really proud of him for that. And I'm even more proud of Dean afterwards for agreeing and going forward with, you know, this idea. I'm just really proud of my beans. You know, 100%. And that's, I think, why this episode, like, I, I feel like I need to at some point write out a list of like skippable versus non-skippable episodes and like do a rewatch of the entire series maybe like when we're done one day and like I can do a retrospective and I want to do like a did you just find the theme for our holiday episode skip or not skip Ooh, interesting we'll have to <laughs> discuss this more later yes 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 although you know I won't tell you anything <laughs> But this episode, like, as much as we both kind of say it's skippable, I feel like this bonding moment is so powerful that, like, I, I would really need to see what the next few episodes hold to see if they can help kind of, like, give that feeling to me without it being explicitly said in this episode. I find it so goofy. And, like, not in a funny way. Like, the whole James Dean thing was actually really interesting and I really enjoyed it. And then the Abe Lincoln thing was kind of, like weird and then the gandhi thing is even more awkward the paris hilton thing i did appreciate but like there's a good third there in the middle where i'm like eh, like is this necessary yeah even i admit the middle felt kind of draggy it felt like they had their joke they wanted to make and they just sort of wrote backwards from it again I know we're dipping into critical thoughts here but like we have a lot of time they really had their sticking points they had to hit they had the joke they wanted to make uh, you know, using Little Bastard as, like, a set piece because, one, clearly Dean would be a huge James Dean fan. Clearly Dean would be a fan of not only a, like, famous and well-renowned, like, vehicle, but also one with such a haunted backstory. Like, 
it, it's so many great things, but then it, it falls into like I don't know if it's a trope per se, but I feel like I've seen it before where like you set up your like fake out, and then you're almost like, oh, but the fake out would have been better. Like I would have rather a little bastard episode. You know, I think I think I jokingly made this comment during that really terrible episode with the phone calls. Yes, where like they jokingly go to like Edison's like yes, spirit phone, and I'm like, <laughs> that would have been a better episode. <laughs> I want banana phone you episode. You want banana phone? I ring, know. Ring, you ring, wanted spirit little phone. Although I have to say that I really I enjoyed Paris Hilton as part of it. I thought that that it was really interesting. Like it makes up you know, a point about celebrity culture. Like, I, I I, enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting. But it's just the middle that I, I can't. Anyway. This, to me, would be a skip as long as you got the emotion across between now and the end of the season that, like, they've really repaired their relationship or they're starting to repair their relationship. But if I were to do one of those, like, I don't know if you've seen this guy on TikTok who, like, recut together the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. What? Yeah, it's... Literally every movie from the Iron Man one until the end of Endgame. And he recuts it together so that things that happen around the same time actually happen around the same time. Or like uh, it, it within the Marvel Universe, there's like a short like 10 minute video or a mini movie that was released on the DVD extras that like ties together the end of like Thor to the beginning of Hulk and like a bunch of little things. Uh, or, like, the end credit scenes. Like, he basically splices it all together to make, like, one cohesive nonstop movie where, like, everything makes perfect sense in time. Insane. Like, I, I dream to sit down and watch the entire thing like that one day if he ever makes it available in some way because he doesn't want to do it because it would be piracy. But I, I, would, I want to make it happen. My point being, if I were to do that with Supernatural, so not just cutting out episodes entirely, but, like, reducing them or truncating them to get the important points across... This would definitely be a heavily cut episode, but I would have to include those bits versus some other episodes where you could probably cut completely. With that, are we ready to move into critical time? I sure am. So this was written by Julie Siege, who wrote It's the Great Pumpkin, Sam Winchester, Chris Angel is a douchebag, as well as the monster at the end of this book. And it was also directed by James L. Conway, who directed It's a Terrible Life. Okay, I did not like It's a Terrible Life. I thought it was a pretty easy skip episode, as we discussed. You didn't like It's a Terrible Life? I did like it for its comedy factor. I did not like it for its place in the overall story. I had a lot of fun watching it, but, like, legitimately would skip if watching that season again. Okay, we have differing opinions. Clearly. Oh, my God. We're going to have to skip over that right now. because we. The important thing, though, is the parts of it I did like were a much more of the director angle. Some of the the shot choices, the uh, the color of everything, the way the episode was presented. It was a very, like, I enjoyed it from a directorial standpoint. And the writing was, of course, very funny. It felt like a filler or a bottle episode, kind of like this one did, where it's like they had the joke they wanted to make. And then at the end, there was a, like... You learn something, and now you have this bit of knowledge. Let's move on. But Dean Smith. We're disregarding Dean Smith because that is such an important... You can't disregard Dean Smith. Okay, true. That is a very important part I am overlooking in this. I'm really looking at the content of the episode as far as just, like, getting Zachariah's ultimate goal, which introduces... And the ghost facers. They were just really funny. But that's the equivalent of the Abe Lincoln thing here. It's funny, 
but it doesn't move the story forward. Oh, the ghost facers are much funnier than Abraham Lincoln. Again, a weird sentence, but I agree completely. Again, it was just it was just good comedy. But I agree with you. I, I really enjoyed the directing of this. I did not like the writing. I, it, anyway, whatever. I feel like these other episodes, while they weren't comedy episodes, I really enjoyed the comedy within them. Like, I think Chuck's... like The, the character of Chuck, how he has written, is gold. The three older men in Chris Angel's bag were, like, like the three m- most well-written one-offs the series has had so far, in my opinion. And it's a great pumpkin, too. Like, all the Halloween tropiness and, like... The kid, the kid with the candy, and Dean's whole like back and forth, like those are some really good comedic writing moments. And this episode did have a lot of that, which I liked. So, what do we have in the Hunter's Journal this week? Oh, I got a little something for you. The times change, and sometimes so do we. We forget so easily who we once were before things changed. When reporters or fans ask me about my life, I feel like I'm reading them stories from a children's book. A series of fairy tale versions of the horrors I faced. I don't tell them about the rotten stench of flesh as I had to burn the body of my best friend after a failed hunt. I recall the victories, the triumphs, the pose that looked so good on the TV guide cover. Slowly my stories fade away into nothing but words and a script that some young actor trying to make their way in the big scary world of Hollywood will read in his big break. Oh, well, I get to come in and save them. Or kill them. Really depends on the week. Now I'm rusty. When it matters and someone I care or someone needs me, I don't know if I could do anything anymore. I can't remember a damn word of the old Latin or Enochian. We need a good few hours to draw a demon seal right now. I doubt I can even load a gun anymore if it weren't a prop handed to me on set. I know once I was a hero. Saving people left and right. Now I'm a hero on the silver screen, and it just don't feel right. Oh. I don't know. I don't know who this hunter is or what's in his journal, but I figure there's got to be some more stories than just the hunts. I feel like this sort of talks to, like, you know when we talked about Dean becoming a PA? I I will admit, I didn't think of that right away, but towards the end it came to me, and I was like, oh, I hate this because I love PA teen I hate the idea of him regretting leaving the hunting life to become a PA. He would love it. He would love it. I think he would miss, you know, like everything. Whatever you miss sometimes, like whatever you leave sometimes you end up missing, but it doesn't mean that you would want to go back to it kind of thing, you know? True. I think I wrote a much sadder hunter here, but yeah, I think Dean would be a great PA. Any thoughts to share with us this week? I would like to talk a little bit about queer history. Ooh, please do. So I feel like I need to talk about James Dean because of James Dean's car. Now, of course, Dean's idol doesn't turn out to be James Dean. Uh, It turns out to be John. Does show interest in the car, the way that I assume any car buff would. And I also want to highlight that there's been a lot written about James Dean's sexuality. Elizabeth Taylor famously said that he was gay, but he also had affairs with women. Historically, it's important to remember that the term bisexual, as we know it today, meaning being attracted to two or more Uh, genders, was only popularized in the 70s, and that James Dean died in 1955. And before that, the belief was that people were either gay or straight. And all the bisexuals listening will probably relate when I say that this mentality persists even today. Uh, But back then, I'm like, it was even more prevalent. 
I firmly believe that the only person who can label their sexuality is the person themselves. So I'm not trying to assign a label, but I'm just trying to understand the experiences of someone who didn't necessarily have the words readily available to him to describe these experiences. You know, 15 years ago when I was in, you know, in high school, like bisexuality wasn't a term you heard regularly. You know, you might know of an actor who turns out was gay or a singer who might be gay, but like you never really heard rumors even of like, oh, so-and-so is a bisexual. Like that was just like, it was basically like a taboo term only ever used to like describe porn maybe. I mean, the the one thing for me that pops up in my mind when I think about bisexual bisexuality when I was growing up was is actually a Phoebe Buffay's song in Friends uh, that she sings to uh, to the, the the children whatever this is from season one it's a bit kooky and goofy but it's it's anyway and it's it's very biphobic I was gonna say but it's really funny but it's actually really not where she goes, uh, sometimes men love women, sometimes men love men, and then there are bisexuals, but some just say they're kidding themselves, and then everyone laughs. And like, yeah, biphobia was already a thing back then. It is a thing today. You'll sometimes hear people, you know, noticing or talking about queer people, gay people. Oh, yeah, and the bisexuals. Like, what? <laughs> Okay. Or like you don't get counted as a queer person if you're dating somebody of the opposite sex. <laughs> you're like, what? <laughs> I actually had a moment the other day where I, uh, a few months ago, my wife and I were at a concert. We went to go see Mika at the Bell Center here in Montreal. You know, we made we, we made the comment to somebody being like, uh, you know, he was like, oh, I was trying to see if there was any like other gays I could talk up with. I was checking Grinder, and we were like, oh, other gays at a show like this? <laughs> and then his friend looks at us and she goes, I like the only, the only straight people here are you two. And we both looked at her and went, no, no, <laughs> actually, <laughs> again, no. Again, there was, there was no, like, I don't feel there was any offense coming from it. I know it was all in good. It was in a good hearted comment. It was completely innocent because she's only known us for like 30 seconds. And we are a clearly straight passing married couple, but it was a moment to introduce ourselves in that manner and everything was fine. But it was just like, you know, like, again, like it's not, a super obvious assumption people always make about you, which I guess is good to not assume someone's label, but also that it's so like you don't expect it kind of thing. I mean, it's it's good not to assume somebody's label, but then that also goes with straight. Well put. Thank you. If we're going to start making rules, <laughs> the rules have to go both ways. Like the bisexuals. Like the bisexuals. I also just need to say one last thing in critical time before I move on. There is a tiny plot hole in this episode. Oh my god, is it going to be a thing that, like, I'm going to be like, but Drew, it's meant to be there. <laughs> it's the fact that if anyone truly was a fan of James Dean, and more specifically Little Bastard, they would know the car was disassembled into every individual piece and sold off to avoid the car being driven as a whole. So to have someone be like, I have a Little Bastard, like... Or it was stolen off the back of a truck, I think, is one of the stories that Dean says when it disappeared. But, like, no. that Like, is this just, like, an alternate universe version of Little Bastard within their universe? I don't know. 
it just it's one of those things where it's like I know the story of Little Bastard between being a fan of the occult and everything spooky and my father who I have said is a major car buff I told him this was the episode we were recording and he spouted off so many facts about Little Bastard that I was like Jesus like I wait till we record a car episode him and I because it's now going to include this but that's it. So there is that little thing where, like, realistically, you can't buy Little Bastard. The parts are so thoroughly scattered and destroyed. And there's so many stories related to a, a car with just one part being salvaged. I would be very excited to hear about that in the Hunter's Journal. Just saying. Oh, maybe we'll have to do a little more of a realer dig on that one. Speaking of hearing, shall we head over to the community and hear what they have to share with us? Yes, please. This week, we have a message from Avril. Before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail to respond to anything we discussed today. You can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Mary and I will be answering the question, whose form would the forest god take for you for our Roadhouse patrons and coffee supporters on our Impala Talk? Hi, Drew and Marie and fellow carriers wayward. Uh, I'm a little obsessed with the way Supernatural uses names in all sorts of contexts throughout the series. Not just nicknames, but titles, characterizations, and shorthand. Um, in the interest of time and where we are in the series, I'm just going to talk about the Castiel versus Cast name this time. The first thing that's markedly interesting for me is how Dean starts calling Castiel Cass almost immediately. Looking at the timeline, it was about five days from when Cass first burst into the barn and after only three meetings. Sometimes this gets explained away by Castiel just being a whole lot of syllables, but Dean uses a lot of pejorative names for angels, and he mostly, but not always, excludes Cass. It also shows the impact Cass had on Dean so early and the trust they already had. I think there are a few interpretations of this, but the one I like is that Castiel means shield of God. Cass meaning shield, El being God, and like all the best things in Supernatural, this was by accident. Uh, what I heard is that they Googled Angel of Thursday because they ran on Thursday nights, and that's Castiel. Uh, because remember, we hear Castiel's name in an incantation in a season where he wasn't even conceptualized yet. But many angels have the E-L suffix because of its meaning, so it makes sense that Dean would just keep the cast part of it. However, when Dean calls him Cass, Dean is literally removing the godliness from his name, leaving only the shield part. And based on what Dean's moniker becomes in season five, let's just say that's a lot. <laughs> it's always kind of been a bit silly that other angels and demons would use Cass instead of Castiel. They've called him Castiel for eons, but those who choose to call him Cass versus those who continue to call him Castiel seem to fall into two very distinct groups based on how they feel about Cass, his relationship with Dean, and his relationship with Heaven. It takes them a season or two to get the hang of this, but those who continue with Castiel seem to be emphasizing his connection to heaven and his status as an angel, whereas those who address him as Cass are speaking more to the human side of him, or at least the side who loves humanity, either sincerely or otherwise. Um, I can't use many examples right now without being very spoilery, but for those listening at home, I'm thinking of angels like Hannah, Isham, Hester, and Naomi, who is especially interesting in her choices, and of course, Metatron. A season four example is Uriel using the diminutive to mock and belittle Cass and his relationship with Dean. After beginning to call him Cass, Dean rarely reverts to Castiel, but when he does, it's almost always in prayer, where he's either acknowledging that he feels silly for praying, 
or to appeal to Cass's godliness in his desperation for his help. So for Dean, the distinction really is, Cass is my friend, Castiel is an angel. Moving quickly into critical time, I just want to mention how the supernatural people shot themselves in the foot with the spelling of Cass's nickname. So the fandom spells Cass C-A-S because they argue, not incorrectly, that there's no point in adding the second S. The supernatural folks have basically trolled the fandom by refusing to spell it the way that the fandom does. So in later subtitles and in the name on Dean's and others' phones, it's spelled C-A-S-S. Honestly, it speaks to the contempt the network has for the audience and the fandom that they changed it, but we'll move on. Because adding an S to a nickname is actually a pretty common construction for diminutives. So you can think of Megs, Becks, Wills. Adding an S is traditionally done to feminize the nickname and to make it more of a parental or romantic term of endearment, almost like it's baby talk or making something smaller. Though feminization has all its inherent problems about what it says being a woman and a woman's place in society, by insisting on adding a second S to Cass, the network actually did exactly what they were trying to avoid and put Cass in a more traditionally feminine, partnered and romantic place in Dean's life and mind. It's not a generous reading and a bit of a stretch, but I don't really care because we can have contempt right back. So either by accident or otherwise, and for better or for worse, I love how the series plays with identity, relationships, and social standing through its use of nicknames and shorthands. It really starts to stand out in future seasons, so it's worth keeping an ear out. Okay, that's it for me. Thanks so much for listening. Bye! Oh my god, that was pure gold! That was amazing. Thank you so much for this voicemail. I don't even know where to start. Do you Do you know? Do you have, like, something ready? The sword and shield thing. Like, oh, right, he's the sword and Casmine's shield. Oh, my God. I love this. They were meant to be. And no one knew it. But they secretly shot them. They, they, they literally set up so many traps and fell into every single one without realizing it. I will always remember the moment that I realized that. And it, and it was just, like, pure magic I sort of like I was sitting down like looking up Castiel like what what does this mean and this was like way before I even entered the fandom and I shield of God shield of God shield of God shield shield sword sword shield sword (laughs) (laughs) like I was trying to put this together now keep in mind I didn't have anybody around me to like sort of guide me into this like Destiel reading and I came to that conclusion very late in the game, frankly. But it was just like one of those moments where I'm like, is this on purpose? You know, like that that meme of like the person with the, the butterfly, like, is this on purpose? No, it was not on purpose. It was not. This anyway was not on purpose. For how much of this seems to be unintentional, the extra S at the end of the name, which I also completely think is a stupid thing to do. Why would you do that? It should be CAS. I refuse to believe otherwise. I have ar- I've already like lividly decided that is the way to go, and I will die on this hill. But if you're gonna forcibly include it, the like partnering or like baby talk, as you as Avril put it, that like you're again, you're just writing yourselves into this corner. The part that cat that Dean drops from Cass's name is the of God part. He's not of God. He is of Dean. it's so many perfect little like clues being dropped like like if this if this came out to be intentional the like analytical side would be like well you like were trying way too hard to make this obvious like these clues are way too like you know like bonk on the head obvious and they're telling me they were all accidents 
Like, someone knew what they were doing, honey. I mean, listen, that is genuinely, like, the the, the question. When I, when I talk about the different directions that the writing team, that the different people within the writing team wanted to take, like, I don't say this for fun. This is truly what happens, and it's we've started to see it happening, and it's only going to get worse as the series goes on. Did somebody know what they were doing? Maybe. But I haven't heard anybody talk about it. I haven't heard anybody confirm anything. I haven't heard anybody talking about the relevance of it. The only people who have are the fandom. And I think that this is where Avril's point about the contempt is is quite important. And so sometimes like you'll hear me be a little bit irreverent when it comes to, you know, seeing Dean as as queer because I know how how like contentious of a point that is like people, a lot of people are very invested in making Dean look very straight. And yet they are very bad at it. <laughs> he, he doth protest too much. Yeah. So Avril, thank you so much for this, for this lovely voicemail. It was, uh, we laughed <laughs> the entire time. We were just giggling oh, along with yeah, you. Yeah. No, I, I, anyway, are we ready to go and uh, talk about our reflection and call to action? Yes, please. I got a very fun positive on this one. This is just like a good old, like, feel-good moment. And while we did talk about idolatry and how the episode does kind of, you know, take the angle of, like, it can be too much and you need to tone it down or it can be, like, to an extreme, it's okay to have, like, very niche or specific passions, whether it be a franchise or a fandom or just something that really clicks with you. And I think it's important to embrace those things and use that as a way to meet other people as someone who is going to be in a position soon of having to find new friends. <laughs> we can get that later. You know, it's important to take those things, wear them with pride and, you know, connect with people. Uh, I, I at my new job now. And the first thing I did to meet people was I found the, group chat of other queer employees and like let my colors fly free and made connections and made friends and we've been hanging out regularly i found my people so just remembering as i enter new phases in my life that are coming up to not bend who i am to meet expectations but let people be unexpectedly surprised by me for who i am and my passions i love that and yourself this week, what do you got? Not a feel-good thing. Oh, no! But when do I ever? Yeah, good point. Um, for me, this episode was more about thinking about the patterns that I repeat as if I worship them. Like, you know, that is the message of the episode. And I'm feeling called to re-examine my reasons for doing things. And if the reason is like, well, I've always done it this way then maybe I can challenge myself to like try something different, uh, especially if that thing is usually a hard thing for me. It is so important to put words on it and admit to yourself when something like mine this week can be easy, can be lighthearted, can be a little more fluffy versus something like this week where it's difficult. You need to admit it. You need to speak about it. You need to be honest with yourself. Well, I mean, you don't need to do anything, right? You can stay where you are if you are happy there, right? It's just that I want to. It's my call to action, right? On a personal level. And that's not to say that anybody else wants or should be doing this. 
I want to do it. Also important too, to realize that it's for you. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Mary Vigourou and myself, Drew Shulman. Thank you to our Bunker patrons, Katira, Michelle, and Elle, for their generous support. This week, we'd like to thank Avril for her message. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at CarryingWayward, and leave us a rating and a review on your podcast service of choice. And don't forget to join our coffee or Patreon for perks and extra content. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to carryingwayward.com. Carry on our wayward friends. Mwah, mwah. This meek. This meek. <laughs> <laughs> bah! Uh. Words is hard.